From the world-famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Daniel Sellerson. D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra. Yeah. And the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Daniel Salerson. How goes it? Welcome to the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Sean Kelly is with the Pelicans. He's in transit trying to get out of Indiana and off to Miami as the Pelicans take on the Miami Heat tomorrow night at 630. The Pelicans this weekend, not bad. One and one, a win in Boston on Friday, 95 to 92. And then uh, struggled on Saturday against Indy in Indianapolis, 99 to 82. But the good news is the Saints, how about them? The win over Philly on Saturday night, 26 to 24. And uh, joining us to talk about the game is John DeShazer. John, how's it going today? All's well. I'm not stuck in, in, you know, wherever Kill is. So not stuck in Boston or anywhere like that. So it's all good for me. Stuck in Indy or where? Where is he stuck? Indy? He's stuck in Indy. They're trying to get to Miami today. Yeah, unlucky him. So uh, no, I'm all good. I'm home, so I can't complain at all. Absolutely, the Saints. Good to be home for them. But uh, took care of a road win. Got the monkey off their back again with a 26 to 24 win. So JD must feel good for this team to finally get a road win. Yeah, I mean, you know, smiles, smiles, and backslaps all around, and, and you you could see the relief. It was palpable. It was understandable. I mean, now I think Coach Sean Payton did a great job of minimizing the history, uh, the playoff road history of the franchise with this set of players, basically telling them, look, you create your own history. Don't worry about what's happened in the past. You do what you have to do to win on the road. And, you know, those those other teams, you don't carry their baggage. He did a great job of getting that message across. That said, it still was a fact that the franchise had not won a road playoff game. They were 0-5 heading into Philadelphia. And so, you know, that that was standing out there. And, you know, if they don't win, it's 0-6. And, and certainly the questions that go along with that the entire week are questions that begin to pile up. And, you know, I don't care who you are as a player, as a coach, whoever you are, a team official, you don't want to hear about that. After a while, it's, it's you know, you do want to separate from the past. But, unfortunately, you know, history is what it is. And people are going to bring up what's happened in the past, whether you're related to those teams or not. So to be able to go to Philadelphia – and to be able to, to basically out-tough the Eagles on their on their home field and to beat them, you know, beat the elements. You know, it, it wasn't windy, but it was, you know, it was around 25 degrees at kickoff, 19 degrees wind chill. So, you know, it probably ends up at about 20 degrees. So to win a sub-zero, a, a sub-freezing game and, and to do it on the road and to do it against a formidable team until he had won seven of eight games and had won four straight at home, all those things factor in and all those things add up to a huge – huge win for the Saints has got to be a confidence booster because you know once you cross that barrier now you you, you got to feel pretty good about yourself you have to feel like anything is possible because now you've proven that to yourself that you can do it here's Drew Brees on talking about finally getting that road monkey off their backs well as much as we hate hearing that talk I mean we kind of brought it upon ourselves you know we'd lost the last three games on the road really hadn't played all that well um, so to put together a team victory like this on the road hostile environment you know, weather conditions, whatever. And the fact, listen, it's the playoffs, you know. Um, we came in with a lot of confidence. Like I said, we had a great week of preparation. We knew what we had to do to come in here and get a victory. Um, 
It was not free of errors or mistakes. We, we made our fair share. But at the end of the, game, at, at the, end of the day, we, we, we just want to put ourselves in a position to win, which we did, and we, uh, we did that. Breeze also comments on just a win in general against Philly. You know, honestly, it was, just, it was a great team win. Um, you know, we came in with a lot of confidence, um, feeling like we matched up well with these guys, felt like we just executed the plan that we would be successful. Defense played fantastic uh, all game long. Um, had some injuries there towards the end of the game, but, but still, you know, hung on strong. Offensively, we were able to run the ball very effectively. Um, once we got past those two turnovers um, in the first half, um, you know, we started rolling, scored those two touchdowns to come out in the second half, really set the tone, and then um, obviously go down and, and get the game winner when we needed to. Special teams coming up with some big plays. Sproles with that big return at the end. Uh, four field goals by Shane Graham. Uh, just, I mean, really a complete team effort. So, J.D., going into halftime, it was 7-6 Philly and uh, two big turnovers for the Saints in that first half. Did you get the feeling at halftime that maybe it could have been a little worse uh, for the Saints than it was actually only being down 7-6? to Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the two turnovers, you know, a couple of injuries uh, interceptions, and generally those have spelled doom for the Saints on the road. And, and to give the uh, opposition extra possessions, those things have not been good for the Saints. In fact, in there, five playoff road, excuse me, in their five regular season road losses this season. They averaged two turnovers and, excuse me, two turnovers, yes, and seven penalties. Those were the exact numbers they had against Philadelphia. So when they get the two turnovers to only be trailing 7-6 at halftime, even though, you know, they were trailing, but they had to feel pretty good about themselves. One, you know, the deficit could have been bigger. Two, they kicked a field goal right as time expired in the first half to kind of steal back some of the momentum that Philly had taken, you know, courtesy of the interception. So, you know, they had to feel pretty good about themselves, the position they were in. And, and basically, basically Coach Sean Payton and Drew Brees said, look, it, we felt at that point if we just tightened up, if we didn't turn the ball over, if we, if we got solid with what we were doing, we'd have a chance to win the game. And that's exactly what happened for them. You, you touched on field goals. Shane Graham, 4-4 four four in the game, uh, including the game-winning field goal. He talked about the game-winning kick after the game in the locker room. Very gratifying. Um, you know, when you when you try to purposely avoid seeing games on TV, you know, you're hanging out on a Sunday and you go somewhere to dinner and you see, you see a game on a TV, you don't want to watch it because you're not playing when you want to be playing. Uh, that's tough. And then when you finally get your opportunities, all of a sudden you can put Sports Center back on. You can watch TV. You can, you know, you can watch all the the NFL you want, and and it feels good because you're once again in it. You don't have to resent it anymore uh, at all. So, you know, being able to go out there on the field, you know, it's every child's dream. And uh, you know, I've been lucky. I've been able to do it for quite a few years. But to get a chance late in the year feels pretty good to be a part of such a special organization. So, J.D., they, they waive Garrett Hartley uh, a few weeks before the season ends, and then Shane Graham comes in 4-4, four of four, including the game-winning field goal. How, how clutch was he on uh, Saturday night? Well, I mean, that's exactly what they brought him in for. He's a veteran guy who's kicked well before 80% uh, field goal, um, successful field goals in his career, I believe. He was 6-6 six six in the playoffs last year for the Texans, so he's a guy who's kicked on the big stage before. He understands everything, and with kickers, it's such a mental game, and, and certainly it appeared that Garrett Hartley had lost his confidence, you know, and, and it wasn't so much that his, his teammates and his coaches lost confidence in him, although, you know, if a guy you know, misses a couple of kicks, certainly it doesn't help or anything, but I think more than anything, it had gotten mental with him. And so, you know, they bring in Shane Graham, a guy who, you know, is obviously ultra-confident in himself. Uh, he makes those kicks, and, and three of them were 30-plus yarders, but still, it's the playoffs. It's cold. It's on the road. It's uh, it's grass instead of 
field turf. So, you know, none of the elements are working necessarily in his favor, and he's able to be successful and get the game winner. Going into this playoff game during the whole season, LaShawn McCoy outrushed the New Orleans Saints by himself. On Saturday, he rushed for twenty-one for 77 yards off 21 carries and a touchdown. The team only rushed for 80 yards. New Orleans rushed for 80, 185 yards. Mark Ingram led the way, 18 carries, 97 yards, one touchdown. Was the running game, whether it was stopping LaShawn McCoy or the uh, Saints out rushing the Eagles, was that the biggest factor in the game on Saturday? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can talk all you want to about uh you know, Drew Brees' performance. And Drew Brees was 20 for 30 with a touchdown in those two interceptions and 250 yards. And in the second half, he really stepped it up. He was 10 for 12 for 152 yards and his touchdown. But the running game really, really decided the game for the Saints. They rushed for 94 yards in the first half, had 91 in the second half. And we're talking about a Saints team that basically doubled its season average. It was only averaging about 82 rushing yards per game. Excuse me, 92 rushing yards per game. Ran for 185. And so, you know, that really played big for them. And, and to shut down LaShawn McCord, because basically what they said was, look, you know, you're going to have to take away something from Philly and you're going to have to live with something. So if you take away LaShawn McCord, then you're going to have to say, okay, can Nick Foles, the second-year quarterback, be efficient enough to beat the Saints defense? And he was not on Saturday night. Now, Nick Foles didn't have a bad game, but he didn't have one of the games that, you know, he, he's been having the entire season for the, for the Eagles and and so the Saints basically put the game on his shoulders. They said, LaShawn McCoy isn't going to run for his customary 100 yards. He isn't going to get his customary 130 or 40 yards of total offense. You know, if the game's going to be won, it's going to have to be won by the young quarterback. And they did a great job of not only corralling LaShawn McCoy at the point of attack, but, you know, they like to say population to the football. Those guys stayed in their run fits. They stayed true to themselves on the backside, so he didn't have a whole lot of success on cutback runs. Now, LaShawn McCoy being what he, what he is, he made some of those you know, runs that people you know, com- make people compare him to Barry Sanders for. But you know, the Saints, for the most part, did a great job of hemming him in and getting him down on the ground, getting tackles on him when they had the opportunities. Here's Drew Brees on the running backs that stepped up in the absence of Pierre Thomas. You know, we thought Pierre was going to be okay, and then you know, obviously he wasn't able to play. And um, so, you know, Pierre, uh, I mean, uh, you know, Mark um, and Kyrie did a phenomenal job tonight. Sproles did a great job when he was called upon. Obviously, that, that kick return at the end of the game was huge, and then drawing the penalty off of that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's, in many ways it is that next man up you know, mentality, especially for the running back position, just because, you know, we, we, we rotate those guys in so much. They all know that they have a, a very specific role. Um, uh, you know, they're all very dynamic. They can all do, you know, a lot of things. But um, I think they all know that their, their number is going to get called and, and they got to be ready. And uh, they certainly all contributed tonight. We're talking to NewOrleansSaints.com senior writer John DeShazer. John, before I let you go, now we ha- now the Saints have Seattle on Saturday afternoon. I think conditions as far as uh, temperature-wise will be a little warmer. Um, it's supposed to rain a little bit on Saturday, but obviously the Saints are going to want to get some revenge after what happened about a month ago on Monday Night Football in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, a 34-7 loss does not sit well with you, and the Saints didn't play well in any phase of the game that night. And and so, you know, that that wasn't representative of of what they believe they are. That had that wasn't representative of what they've been the vast majority of this season. So if nothing else, they want to go and atone for that performance. And when you lose a game like that, you feel like, you know, not that you have a, an advantage going back into it, but certainly you feel like you can put a better representation of, of yourself on the field. You feel like you can play a better game. You feel like you didn't show the best that you had. And so they feel like, 
obviously they can only go up from there. A couple of early turnovers in that game really stemmed the, really, really kind of started the, the floodgates opening for Seattle. And they feel like they did a great job against against Marshawn Lynch in the running game. They shut down Seattle's best running back, but you know Russell Wilson, the quarterback, they put the put the game in his hands, and the Seahawks had a lot of success against the Saints offensively and defensively. The Seahawks held the Saints to 188 yards, and that's not the Saints offense that we've come to know over these years. So they want to get back into Seattle, go back to the Century Lake Field. And they feel like they can put a better representative product of themselves on the field on Saturday. So we'll see what happens. But you know, certainly, yeah, they, they I think they wanted to get back at Philadelphia and now excuse me, wanted to get back, get another shot at Seattle, and now they're gonna have their chance. Well, JD, one more question before I let you go. Three of the four road teams won this weekend. One, were you surprised by that? And two, does that give the Saints maybe a little more confidence that, hey, the road team can easily win any of these games in the playoffs? Well, I mean, you know, you, you get some confidence in that, but more than anything, you know, you get the confidence from winning the game yourself. I mean, you know, a lot of these teams, they kind of, you know, cocoon themselves and isolate themselves, and they'll watch other games, but, you know, they, you know, each each individual situation is isolated. So what they felt was, you know, hey, let's see if we can take care of our own business, you know, in Philadelphia. And so that's what gives them the confidence. You know, certainly it didn't hurt to see everybody else in the NFL seemingly able to win on the road. You know, from San Francisco to you know to other teams, but it basically it's doing it yourself that gives you the confidence, and, and they've got great confidence having done it themselves and the way they did it. You know, again, didn't play a clean game, didn't play their best game by any stretch of the imagination, but they were able to do enough to win the game on the road. So certainly they're gonna they're gonna feel like if they play a little bit cleaner, if they are a little bit more sound, then they'll give themselves the optimum opportunity to win in Seattle. That's NewOrleansSaints.com senior writer John DeShazer. Keep an eye on all his stuff um, as he will preview the Saints and the Seahawks on Saturday afternoon. J.D., uh, look forward to talking to you on Friday to preview this game. I'll be here, man. We'll be talking about it, and uh, hopefully uh, the Saints can uh, do a little something and, and, and get another one on the road. Now that they've, broken, now that they've kicked the door down, as Bum Phillips might, might have once said, and, you know, maybe they can uh, storm through it again. Absolutely. Coming up uh, on this uh, edition of the Black and Blue Report, we'll hear from head coach Sean Payton. He was available Yesterday over the phone, so we'll go over some of that sound. We'll also talk to uh, Sean, caught up with head athletic trainer for the Pelicans, John Ishup. We'll have a Ryan Anderson update, and he'll talk about kind of the Polar Express tour that Sean's been talking about, dealing with the cold and all the different travel conditions. And then later on, we'll talk with Sam Farmer from the LA Times. He covers the NFL for them, so we'll hear his take on this weekend's games and preview the upcoming games on Saturday and Sunday. More to come in one minute. Here's a valuable lesson I've learned as an Intergy customer. Saving energy saves you money. And the online videos at EntergySavings.com show you how. A few simple projects can make a big difference in your bill. In just a few hours, I knocked my monthly bill down by 20%. It was easy. From caulking windows to programming your thermostat, the Intergy videos walk you through it. Visit EntergySavings.com and start saving today. That's the power of people. Intergy. Are you ready for health care reform? At Blue Cross, we're ready to help. Learn all you can about health care reform at bcbsla.com slash reform. Here you'll find information on tax credits, health insurance options, answers to frequently asked questions, and a handy checklist to help you prepare. Visit us today at bcbsla.com slash reform and get ready. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association and is incorporated as Louisiana Health Service and Indemnity Company. 
Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Salerson sitting in for Sean Kelly, who's with the Pelicans, and they're en route to Miami as we speak as the Pelicans take on the Miami Heat tomorrow at 6.30. We'll hear from uh, head athletic trainer John Ishup in the next segment. But first, we'll still talk about the Saints' big 26-24 win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Saturday. Now have the chance to uh, get some revenge on the Seattle Seahawks. They face them on Saturday afternoon. Head coach Sean Payton uh, talked to the media yesterday. You know, they're kind of flipping everything a day. They're going backwards a little bit. Um, Monday is usually the time where Sean Payton talks. This week it's actually Sunday because they're, uh, since they play on Saturday, kind of bumping everything up one more. So the players uh, and coaches not available today to talk. So Sean Payton talked yesterday. And uh, first off, he talked about really not worrying about all the talk about getting their first road win. You know, the team uh, franchise history 0-5 coming into Saturday's game on the road in the playoffs, and uh, they finally got that monkey off their back, but Payton wasn't really worried about that in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I mentioned this yesterday. I'm not interested in the franchise's history. I, you know, I said this to our players. Uh, if that were the case, then it, we'd be carrying a lot of uh, baggage with us. Our, our job is to win. Our job is to be consistent and be successful, whether we play at home or on the road. And, you know, we played well enough yesterday uh, to, to get that win. And, and certainly when you watch the tape, uh, the score could have been a, a lot a lot bigger in our part. You know, when you, when you look at the time of possession, you look at the third down snaps, the rushing totals, total yardage, I thought defensively we did a great job considering some of the injuries we had offensively. Uh, you know, the, the running game really helped us in the kicking game. We came up with the, the plays we needed. So it was a great team win. As we mentioned in the first segment with J.D., uh, talked about the rushing game. Uh, LaShawn McCoy held to only 77 yards in the game, one touchdown off 21 carries. Uh, Coach Payne talks about being able to stop Shady McCoy. I think getting off the field on third down, number one. Number two is, you know, I thought we tackled him well, pursued to the ball. I, I, we really felt that was going to be important. He's such an exceptional player and has the ability to really plant, cut back. And, and so you're – your angles and your gap integrity have to be really good because it might start out going right and then all of a sudden it ends up, you know, all the way around the left end. And, uh, you know, I thought our guys did, did a real good job of that. Another thing we touched on with J.D. is uh, at the half, the Saints were down 7-6. to six. Drew Brees with two turnovers in that first half. And uh, Sean Payton said it could have been a lot worse. I mean, I think at halftime we felt, uh, the whole team felt, you know, we were 7-6. And, you know, to some degree, we're fortunate to be seven, to be down just a point considering some of the turnovers. So uh, I think we felt like if we put our best football together uh, and executed, did all the things we, we needed to do, that, uh, that the result would take care of itself, and it did. Now the Saints will have a chance to get some revenge on the Seattle Seahawks. That game is a 335 Central on Saturday. And remember, on December 2nd, on Monday Night Football, the Saints were embarrassed 34-7 to at Seattle. And um, Sean Payne was asked whether playing in those conditions in Seattle a month ago will give them a little bit more of a little bit more confidence and an advantage heading into Saturday's game. Look, each stadium presents a different environment to some degree. And, and you know, for our team, we've got a lot of young players on this team. You know, going to Philadelphia is one thing. Going to Seattle is another. Uh, and, and each can be challenging in their own ways. You know, certainly noise on the road is always an issue. The communication challenges it presents, uh, those are all things that you, you 
you experience and you have to work through, and, and we try to replicate as best we can here. Here's Sean Payton's thoughts on the Seattle Seahawks team, the number one seed heading into the playoffs. That was a game that, that we played not too long ago, and, and you know what? This is a team that's been dominant all season. They're the number one seed. They're, uh, they're unbelievably talented defensively, offensively. They're coached very well. Uh, they're on a roll. They've had one of those magical regular seasons. And, you know, we've got our work cut out for us in this one. So we heard from Bree, Drew Brees and Shane Graham in segment number one. You hear from Sean Payne right there as the Saints, a winner this weekend, 26-24 to over the Philadelphia Eagles and now the tough task of the Seattle Seahawks on Saturday afternoon. So now let's turn our attention to the New Orleans Pelicans. When we come back, Sean Kelly caught up with head athletic trainer John Ishup. He'll talk about facing these tough travel conditions now with uh, being delayed in Indy, having to stay another night there, and also we'll give you an injury update on Ryan Anderson. This is the Black and Blue Report. Your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Wednesday, January 8th, when the Washington Wizards come to town. Tip-offs at 7 p.m. with the Pelicans Fest pregame block party getting underway at 5.30 with live music, the Zataran Season Ticket Garden, and interactive games for the kids. Tickets start as low as $11 and are available by calling 504-525-HOOP or visiting pelicans.com today. Bud Light presents NFL Fan Dilemmas. Should I put these Bud Lights on your tab? Just supposed to get this round. But on my rounds, we play better. It's good luck when I buy Jeff's beers. But I don't want to buy Jeff's beers. He wouldn't even give me gum the other day. What a shocking turn of events. Absolutely everything going right. Yep, my tab. It's only weird if it doesn't work. Bud Light. For the NFL fans who do whatever it takes. Here we go. Enjoy responsibly. Anheuser-Busch Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. As I mentioned earlier, the Pelicans went 1-1 one one this weekend, a win in Boston on Friday, 95-92, and then unfortunately a loss on Saturday night to the Indiana Pacers, 99-82. A scary moment on Friday. Ryan Anderson collided with Gerald Wallace on an inbound play, and uh, Anderson was down for about 10 minutes. He was taken off on his stretcher and um, was taken to a local Boston area hospital where he was diagnosed with a cervical stinger. Um, and so for more on the Ryan Anderson injury update and talk about these travel conditions that the Pelicans have been dealing with the last few days, Sean Kelly caught up with head athletic trainer John Ishup. Well, John Ishup has been the head athletic trainer of the New Orleans Pelicans, formerly the Hornets now for four seasons. John, I'd venture to say there haven't been too many routine or boring moments over those last four years for you. No, not at all. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an adventure every day, whether it's a home game or away game. Um, there's always something new. See, it seems that everybody in sports kind of knows that teams have a trainer. I'm not so sure they know exactly what the trainer does, though. They know that it's part of the medical staff. But in the, in the medical hierarchy, I guess, or that chain that, that works, uh, help me put in, into perspective what the trainer exactly is for these guys. Well, I guess the, the athletic trainer mainly is kind of the liaison between the medical community and the sports community. Uh, we're the one that we bridge the gap. We kind of um, make things understandable from, from a medical side to the sports side. But in a sense, you're kind of almost a combination of first responder, therapist, um, uh, first aid provider. There's, there's too much to it. It's almost everything short of being a doctor in a lot of ways. 
A little bit. Um, if, if you're talking about day-to-day um, -day activities, then yes, you're exactly right. First responders, first aid, um, treatments, uh, you name it, we're there to make sure that the guys are ready to play, uh, make sure the guys stay healthy, and we work in conjunction with our um, strength and conditioning staff to make sure the guys are physically ready. Yeah, that's prob that probably sums it up. If you, if you had to look back on your path to get to the NBA and being a head athletic trainer for a professional sports team of any kind, I know there's experience there for you uh, with college athletics. I know there's experience with you at the NFL level. But really, it, help me discern your path. Where did it start and where did it wind through? Well, it started at the University of Texas. That's where I did my undergrad. Um, as I was completing my degree, I got an opportunity to work for the Washington Redskins as a summer intern. Uh, that's where you send out letters of intent to all the clubs. I sent out, I think it was 29 at the time, excuse me, no, I sent out 30 letters of intent. I got 29 no's and one yes, and I was with the Redskins. And I worked that summer, worked two summers with the Redskins, then graduated, um, went to University of Houston, got my master's. And at that point in time, they were, going to, they were talking about expanding the league. Um, and one of the assistants with the Redskins was getting the head job in Houston. Since I was in Houston, he asked me to apply, and that's how I got the job in Houston. And then fast forward eight seasons with the, with the Houston Texans. Um, I, I walked away from football and kind of fell into basketball unexpectedly, actually. Um, I got a call on a random Tuesday from Dell Demps saying, hey, I'm looking for an athletic trainer. And um, I, I got your name from uh, a group of guys that you used to work with, guys, former NBA, NFL guys that I used to work with, kind of grew up with Dell. And that's how he knew them, and, and that's how that relationship started. We see athletic trainers at every level of sports, right down to uh, Little League. You know, there's, there's guys and, and, and ladies that are in your business that have almost gone the private practice route. Others like yourself work for actual teams. Has it hit you? Does it... Does it uh, stop you in your tracks sometimes to think that you're one of 30 in the world, that being a head trainer for an NBA team? Um, every now and then, but only when somebody brings it up. <laughs> um, a little bit more modest than that, but you are right. There's um, athletic trainers in all aspects um, of this job market, if you will, from, from private clinics to even working with the military. So it, it's a very vast open field. Um, there's even industrial athletic training where you have athletic trainers that work on oil rigs with these guys that are out there. Um, you know, something happens on the work site. Like you said, first responders, they're the ones there that take care of everybody. You've had an interesting road trip to say the least. It seems like we've been on the road since the middle of December, but in some respects we have. This one in particular has been interesting for you. I'll get to the travel part of it in a second, but we had the injury the other night in Boston with Ryan Anderson, and um, you quickly were able to tell those of us relaying uh, the game back to home uh, about Ryan's initial diagnosis being what they called a cervical stinger. And I think that in some ways we probably did it justice, and in some ways we probably really mucked it up pretty good. So <laughs> let me just ask you this. Um, when you uh, when you were able to let us know that the, that the initial diagnosis, or at least the initial thought, was that it was a cervical stinger, what exactly did that mean? I know that people hear stinger with regard to football sometimes, but it's rare in basketball that we hear it. Yeah, it's it's very rare. But at the same time, um, just to go on record, I, um, athletic trainers don't diagnose. We evaluate. Um, 
So upon evaluation and the signs and symptoms that Ryan was presenting at the time, that's what it seemed like. Basically, stinger, burner, you and I probably know it as a burner more so than the stinger, or nerve pinch. That's basically what we're dealing with. Um, and the symptoms include pain, uh, radiating pain from the neck down to the extremities through the hands and fingers, um, tingling sensation. And that's, <clears throat> that's basically what was going on. And when we say you know, cervical stinger, basically that's dealing with the neck, the C-spine. Um, and when the head goes too far one way or the other, right, left, forward, or back, you can pinch either the nerve root or you can pinch the spinal cord. And that's where you get the shooting pains from. And, and that, like I said, at the point in time, the, the team physician, Dr. Curtis, from the other team from Boston, he was there. Um, I, and obviously we didn't diagnose at that point, just from the signs and symptoms we evaluated, and that's what it was. Now you've made it much more clear. I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, are you able to let us know whether Ryan's doing well or not? Yes, uh, Ryan is doing well. Um, he's still being, he's still in Boston. He's under observation, but he's doing well. He's um, talking to friends and family. Uh, last time I spoke with him, he was having pizza and kind of back to his old self. Good news there. Um, let me ask you about the other part of your job here, which uh, is interesting in, the, in itself, because while you're taking care of this massive piece of the organization with regard to the medical side of things, you're also uh, the de facto travel secretary of this team. And I know there's a lot of people involved in these decisions and the, and the process of moving this team here, there, and otherwise. You've got the equipment guys and David Jovanovich and, and uh, Corey Johnson and that whole crew. Yes. But in your sense, uh, you, you, you're the guy that helps us coordinate, I guess, the point of attack. Yes. Is, that the, is that the safe way to, to describe what your role is in this sense? I think, I, I think that's very accurate. Um, I'm the point person, if you will. Uh, Corey Johnson, he does a lot of um, the legwork as far as setting everything up, buses, um, hotels, all that. But I'm the contact when we actually get on the ground. And with this road trip, with the weather, and it's not just us. Obviously, what, a third of the country is under this freeze warning. Mm -hmm. So we are one little small faction caught up in it. But it's, <clears throat> and I guess the whole travel part, that's, that's unique to the NBA. And in, in, in the NFL, they have whole departments of people that deal with travel. And, <clears throat> and here, it's, okay, you, you got this hat, and now put on your travel hat. And there's always, like I said, since it's always an adventure, there's never a dull moment. It never really stops. Because once we're on the bus, <laughs> then you get ready for the hotel. Once you're in the hotel, you're getting ready for that practice. Once you get ready for the practice, now we're getting ready for the game. So it's something always going. And we're always preparing for that next step. Um, and in here, like I said, this is what, is it day 17 here in Indy? <laughs> sure feels like it. We're sitting here and visiting in the hotel lobby in Indianapolis this morning. We were supposed to be at the hour that we're recording this on our way virtually to the airport to kind of do a redo of what yesterday was when the Pelicans spent a couple hours on the plane only to find out they couldn't get out of Indianapolis. The scramble to get back here, take me, take me through that because <laughs> for one moment we were leaving and the next moment you're, you're having to try to figure out how we not leave, I guess is yeah. probably the, the funny way of saying it. Yeah, as we, as we, I guess we had to fight our way back to the gate because the snow was falling so fast and so heavy. They had basically dig us out to take us back to the gate. We get off the airplane and we, and then, I'm sorry, I had to um, get the bus back on, get the bus back on the phone to try to get them back to pick us up. Instead of two buses, we're going to get one bus. Luckily, the bus driver's neighbor is a truck driver. He was close enough to get the truck so we can move the equipment. 
And then I had to call the hotel and reissue everybody rooms and get everybody back, back in. So uh, that process was finally done. Um, I think the city was shutting down about 6 o'clock. I want to say we probably all got settled about 5, 5.30. Um, we, <laughs> we encouraged the guys to take as much food off the plane and drinks as they could because we didn't know what was going to be open here. Um, and this morning, you know, last night they said, okay, we get you on an 8.30 flight, and everybody's up and moving, getting ready to check out, pull bags. Um, I got the buses lined up, and I get the phone call at 7.05, hey, we're pushing your flight back to noon. So here we go again. So half the bags are pulled sitting in the lobby. <laughs> the head coach had already checked out. He was ready to go get breakfast. He was ready to leave. We had to check him back into his room. Um, so now we're kind of in a holy pattern again. I'm getting another call at 9 o'clock, and they're going to let us know if noon is good or hopefully, pray to God, they don't push us back to 3 or 4. Um, but basically they said they had to dig the plane out. <laughs> and I guess the good news is they were actually clearing off the tarmac at the airport, and they were clearing off taxiways. But um, just with the conditions, we don't know how it's going to play out. Is this the strangest one yet for you in the, in the four years? I think so. It's the strangest and most persistent. It's like when it's cold, it just stays cold. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not going to warm up until the spring. <laughs> so um, one way or another, plane, trains, and automobiles, we're <laughs> going to get to Miami. And Miami sure is serving as a huge motivating factor, I think, for everyone right now. <laughs> exactly right. John, good to talk to you. I know that you are scrambling this morning and everything else, so I appreciate you taking 10 minutes with us here, not only to talk about your role with this team, what's going on with Ryan, but uh, again, this crazy travel story now that's developed for the Pelicans. We wish you all the best today, and, and just know that the rest of us in the travel party, we're right behind you at this point. We may be shoving a little bit, but we're right behind you. I appreciate that. Thanks for your support. Yeah, we hope uh, Ryan gets better really soon, and hopefully he can return to the Pelicans as soon as possible. We'll turn our attention back to football when we come back. I'll speak with Sam Farmer from the LA Times. He is their NFL columnist. We'll talk about this weekend's wildcard games next on the Black and Blue Report. Hey there, what you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. N nicotine? Listen, I'm going to hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. Our next guest covers the NFL for the LA Times and is also a co-host of Pro Football Slam podcast. You can hear it at ProFootballSlam.com. He's Sam Farmer. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Sam, as he tweeted this morning, this is the first time in three years that both six seeds won on Wild Card Weekend. Were you surprised that three of the four road teams came out on top? Uh, you know, actually, I, I looked at the Saints, and uh, I had originally thought, well, Philadelphia might win that, but uh, uh, Saints are playing you know, so well right now, and... I picked the 
hit the Broncos to beat Cincinnati, and and uh, uh, let's see the other other road team to win. San Francisco uh, over Green Bay was the other one. Right, right, yeah. You know, they really do have to examine the seating uh, and reseeding after the uh, after the you know division champions get into the playoffs. But then I think the league has to look at reseeding because you have a situation like in 2010 when the Saints went up and played at Seattle, and Seattle was seven and nine. I mean, that's sort of patently unfair. I think uh, uh, they've got to look at a, a reseeding process that's a little bit more fair. Absolutely. Sam, your article today in the LA Times covers the Paganos. Colts head coach Chuck Pagano and his team overcame a 28-point deficit to beat the uh, the Chiefs 45-44, to and his brother John, who is the defensive coordinator for the Chargers, upset the Bengals 27-10. to In your opinion, which was the more impressive win? Well, I mean, the Colts was epic. That was a historic win, and, and for them to come back the way they did, being down 28, in fact, um, you know, going down by 28 after halftime, um, you know, that was just phenomenal. The the Chargers, you know, that's a team that historically, uh, when they've been sort of the bully on the block, whether they've been 14 or 2 or 13 and 3 in years past, uh, they tend to get knocked out in the first round. And uh, the times that they've that they've done anything in the playoffs is when they've had to scramble at the end of the season. So I I looked at the Chargers, and they're essentially in the fifth round of the playoffs, if you think about it, Uh, because they had to win four in a row just to have a prayer of getting in. And then, obviously, everything had to fall their way uh, to get in. So they they didn't really have to shift their mindset at all um, from that playoff mode or be like the Ravens last year where they had to – you know, they lost, what, three out of four in the season, and they had to sort of uh, regroup in, in the postseason and uh, and get rolling. So it was an impressive win by the Chargers, uh, certainly impressive to run for almost 200 yards against the third-ranked defense. But, um, but I do think that the Colts win, the fact that they came back uh, – against Kansas City the way they did and kept chipping away. and uh, That's one that will stick in my mind uh, for years, I think, in, 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 in the minds of millions of fans. We're talking with Sam Farmer, who covers the NFL for the LA Times. And uh, Sam, you mentioned earlier about the reseeding maybe when once the playoffs start. And uh, the NFC playoff picture includes two teams from the NFC West and two teams from the NFC South. In your eyes, were these the four best teams in the NFC heading into the playoffs? Um, you know, I, I guess so. I mean, I looked at the Packers, for instance, and, and uh, you know, obviously getting Aaron Rodgers back was great for them, but but it happened so late in the year, and the fact that they they didn't have Clay Matthews, uh, I think, really hurts them uh, and hurt them. And I, and I figured that you know that was going to catch up with them. I figured they they would beat the Bears in the finale, but ultimately the uh, not having their best defensive player was, was really going to hurt. Uh, you know, I look at, <clears throat> I look at the NFC South and, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Saints struggle on the road and that that's an issue, but gosh, I mean, with Drew Brees, uh, 
if you got that guy, you're way ahead of the game, and uh, he can he can pull you out of a lot of bad situations and put you in good situations. So I I think that was uh, uh, that. And, and to me, the Eagles, uh, the, their defense just caught up with them. They you know they started the season they they very productive on offense and their defense was horrible. Uh, uh, they worked their way up to a mediocre defense and uh, and won some games there but ultimately again um you know a mediocre defense generally doesn't get you very far in the postseason so i think uh, the nfc is uh is about where it should be right now in terms of of teams that are all going to be competitive and and well a great divisional round Let's zone in on the Seahawks Saints game uh, coming up on Saturday. The Saints were embarrassed in Seattle, thirty-four to seven, on December second on Monday Night Football. Since this, since this is a playoff game, and the Saints finally have some confidence playing on the road. Do you see this game being a lot different than the one on December second? Oh, I definitely do. I mean, you know, you, you think about that game, and, and the tone was set so early, and there was a fumble, I believe, returned for a touchdown early in that game, and um, uh, I, you know, I kind of look at say, well, the Colts just two weeks ago uh, stomped the Chiefs, and the Chiefs come back, and, and, they, and they build a 28-point lead. I mean, these games, um, there's just not – it's a it's so wide open right now um, that there's not one team that can run the table, uh, assuredly. I mean, that we know this is the team to beat. Uh, I think this game – uh, will be much closer. Saints will handle the noise better. Um, it's certainly going to be loud, but of course the Saints are. Uh, they also play in one of the loudest stadiums in the league, so they they know all that noise. Um, and you know, I just think that uh, you know Seattle is nowhere near as offensively productive as they were at the end of last season. They really dropped off sharply, and and. You know, maybe Percy Harvin makes a difference there for them, but he's certainly an unknown there. And uh, uh, so Seattle will definitely have its hands full. I mean, this is a team that lost to home to Arizona, a very good Arizona team. Right. But um, uh, they're certainly vulnerable. And anybody who – and, you know, it almost plays into the same hands that uh, – they lost so handily in in Seattle because uh, if you've got a young team, they can get overconfident, and that could certainly happen. So the the pressure is going to be on Pete Carroll to keep his team focused on the now. Speaking of uh, Pete Carroll, I don't know how much you covered him when he was at USC from 2000 to 2009, but since he came came to Seattle, 38 and 26 overall record, and now three out of four seasons he's led this team to the playoffs. He was an NFL coach before uh, with the Patriots and the Jets. What What is it about this time around for Pete that's brought him so much success? Well, I mean, this sort of speaks to a larger issue, and, it's, and, and I think Pete's at the vanguard of it. Uh, for <clears throat> for so long, it was sort of an accepted premise that, that uh, uh, college coaches couldn't make transition. You, you had college coaches and you had NFL coaches, and never, to, never the two shall meet. You know, you had... Um, you know, guys like Butch Davis and Spurrier and, and coming into the league and just not succeeding. Um, 
and we thought they were different animals. Well, Pete has made that transition uh, sort of seamlessly. Now, he did have previous NFL experience, but now you look at Jim Harbaugh, you look at Chip Kelly, and, and a lot of the college principles that the teams are using. Um, specifically about Pete, he has created a college-type atmosphere in Seattle. I spent a week with the Seahawks last year with full access uh um, to meetings and everything, and it was uh, a pretty eye-opening experience. And, and it's a different environment than any I've seen in the NFL in terms of, uh, you know, position meetings. You you walk in, uh, it's like a nightclub. I mean, the music's thumping, uh, the lights are turned down. There's, um, <laughs> he treats them uh, like men, but there is sort of like a fun aspect to this uh <laughs> To these to the meetings and, and guys want to hang out at that facility and and he's got much like he had at USC he's got like competition Wednesday he's got turnover Thursday he's got you know whatever it, it, days of the week where he does specific things and he and he incentivizes that with you know you get to do this if you if you win this little battle so everything's a competition and. And the one thing that Pete has done, the one most significant move, I think, is when they had Matt Flynn there, uh, probably the most coveted free agent quarterback out there. They signed him, and then they drafted Russell Wilson in the third round, and Pete said this is going to be an open competition. And he followed through, and Russell Wilson wound up winning the job, and Matt Flynn spent the year on the on the bench. And I think that told people that, anything's possible. Uh, you know, this guy is going to follow through on his word and, and truly uh, is dedicated to creating position competitions. And the Seahawks, uh, one thing that they've done is, uh, you know, they will take youth and athleticism over experience. Uh now, that can hurt them a little bit, but they built this young roster. They've had more roster churn than any team in the league, you know, over 200 transactions since Pete took over. Uh, and so they've got churn. They've got youth, very athletic. They they have gone with, the you know, those big corners that they have. And uh, he's done a lot of things up there that have been very successful, and, and he has that city in the palm of his hand. We're talking with uh, Sam Farmer, who covers uh, NFL for LA Times. Uh, Sam, before I let you go, how can folks find you on Twitter? Oh, uh, I'm at uh, LA Times Farmer is my Twitter handle. Thank you. Uh, and again, we do the uh, Pro Football Slam on on Tuesdays at uh, uh, I guess it would be 1 p.m. your time, uh, 1 p.m. Central. Uh, ProFootballSlam.com. All right, I'll have to check that out. Sam, uh, thank you so much for the time, and enjoy the football this weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. You too. That's Sam Farmer from the L.A. Times and also ProFootballSlam.com. When we come back, I'll wrap up the Black and Blue Report. Your mission, win your share of up to $3 million in free play and prizes. M-Life presents License to Thrill, only at Beau Rivage. You could win a trip to London, even a new Mercedes E350. Drawings every Thursday and Saturday. Up to 800 winners. So play for the thrill. License to Thrill. You belong 
at the Bow. CM Life Desk for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-777-9696. Basketball fans of all ages, NBA All-Star 2014 is coming to New Orleans and tips off with four days of wall-to-wall basketball action. February 13th through 16th, NBA All-Star Jam Session transforms the New Orleans Ernest M. Moriel Convention Center into 40 interactive activities, providing fans an authentic NBA experience where they can test their skills, score free autographs from NBA stars, and pick up the hottest NBA All-Star merchandise. Jam Session is your family's ticket to everything NBA All-Star. Tickets start at $10. Buy yours today at NBAevents.com. This is Pelicans guard Eric Gordon, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Good show today. Our thanks to J.D., John DeShazer, for joining us today. Same with Sam Farmer. Good stuff from the L.A. Times NFL columnist John Ishup giving us an update on Ryan Anderson. And, um, of course, John will be back tomorrow He, uh, as the Pelicans are in Miami today. They'll take on the Miami Heat tomorrow. That one's at 630. You can hear it on 105.3 WWL-FM and the Pelicans Radio Network all this week. We're going to talk, obviously, Saints and Seahawks. The Pelicans are also busy, too. Again, Miami tomorrow night. Then they're back home on Wednesday against the Washington Wizards, Friday against the Dallas Mavericks, and then they're on the road on Saturday night. They go back to Dallas, so a home and away swing there against the Mavericks. So the Saints and Seahawks will play at 335, and then afterwards you can tune in to Pelicans-Mavericks at 730. Speaking of that game, that game will be moved to 1350. WWL AM as the Saints and Seahawks will take over 105.3 and 870 WWL. So again, Saturday's game against the Dallas Mavericks will be moved to 1350 AM. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Blue Report. You can also follow Sean Kelly at Sean Kelly Live, myself at D Salerson. You can get all the updates on the show and on Pelicans programming. And then you can also download the show on iTunes. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I hope everyone stays warm on this frigid day in New Orleans or wherever you may be listening to. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Sean Kelly is back tomorrow, and we'll talk to you then on the Black and Blue Report. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.